Hello and welcome to The Next Page, the podcast of the UN Library and Archives Geneva, dedicated to conversations on multilateralism. This is It Takes a Global Crisis, a series of four special episodes in collaboration with the SDG Lab at UN Geneva. Hi, I'm Edward Mashad from the SDG Lab. And we're Tiffany Verga and Natalie Alexander from the Library and Archives. Together, we'll explore how the COVID-19 pandemic has in many ways set in motion sustainable development solutions, things that were often talked about but rarely implemented before the crisis. We'll also consider the challenges, the gaps, and the limitations of progress that the pandemic has highlighted. We'll be talking to a range of experts and practitioners as they work both on the ground and in advancing policy on their experiences across the themes of digitalization and connectivity, the environment as a key to resilience, sustainable cities and social protection. Did it take a global crisis? Let's find out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Next Page podcast and to this series of four special episodes called It Takes a Global Crisis. I'm Natalie from the Library and Archives, and I'm here with my co-host from the SDG Lab, Edward. Hello. Hello and, and welcome. So this is episode zero, and we're going to aim to do two things. First, open up this series by exploring in greater detail the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And second, to unpack why we created this four-part series on the SDGs in the wake of a far-reaching global crisis, such as the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And joining us here today in the studio are Nadia Isla, the director of the SDG Lab, and Francesco Pisano, the director of the UN Library and Archives, Geneva. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello. Yeah, very excited to be here today. So before we explain a bit more about the SDGs, an opening question to you both. How does your work relate to the SDGs and why do they matter to you? Firstly, to you, Nadia. Thanks, Natalie, and good morning, Edward, too. Um, it's great to be here. Hi, Francesco. Listen, when it comes to the work of the SDG Lab, as, as, as you may know, we're, we're part of the United Nations. So what we actually do is use the very unique convening power and the neutrality of, of the platform that the United Nations offers to galvanize different stakeholders, um, to nudge them to work together and collaborate to come up with some very concrete partnerships, ideas, collaborations that will help accelerate the SDGs at country level. So it's about this multi-stakeholder collaboration that many of us are hearing over and over again and have heard over and over again for the past decade, but it's about really putting that multi-stakeholder collaboration in practice. So that's what we do with the SDG Lab. And you, Francesco? Well, for us, it's mostly linked to the knowledge part. Um, it was said very early in the life of the Agenda 2030 that it's a lot about knowledge, sharing knowledge, communicating knowledge, applying knowledge. And because we Library and Archives is about knowledge and the history of knowledge of multilateralism, we take it very seriously. So just to give you one example, back in 2017, we decided to re-catalogue virtually our resources, all of our resources, goal by goal, and see how much knowledge we were storing and bringing to our clients per SDG goal. And that exercise was really enlightening for us because we saw that the agenda responds to 
a natural and organic distribution of knowledge across the spectrum of what we call multilateralism and multilateral thought. So this is what we do, and we try to do it very seriously, and the resources uh, increase over time. And what increases over time is also the appetite of researchers and also the public at large for these resources, which is a good indicator that Agenda 2030 is there. It's happening, perhaps more than people commonly believe. And just coming back, because Natalie, you, you kicked us off on opening up about the SDGs and wanting to know more. So, Nadia, this question is to you. For those who aren't aware of the SDGs, let's really begin with the foundations. What is the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development? And what are the 17 SDGs? Thanks a lot, Edward. I think it's a great question because we get confused sometimes. Some people talk about Agenda 2030, as you just said. Some people talk about the Global Goals. Some people talk about the SDGs. Some people talk about the ODD in French. And actually, we're all talking about the same thing, just using different words. What it inherently is, is a historical commitment of every single country in the world. In December 2015, all the member states of the United Nations got together to agree on seven common objectives that every single country in the world is guided by now and that respond to the global challenges of our world. So that there was really a historical moment in December 2015 where all countries agreed that the global challenges that we're all facing in some shape or form have to be addressed in a universal way. We all have a responsibility, we all actually have a piece of the problem and a piece of the solution. So it's really the first time in history that this has actually happened. And it's a universal agenda. This is very powerful, Edward, and, and this is what I always underscore, that it's not an agenda for certain countries to aspire to or to try to reach. Every single country has a responsibility to do so, and every single citizen. It's not a UN agenda. It's an agenda that was adopted in the premise of the United Nations, but it was built, elaborated by citizens, by the private sector, by the public sector, and by the United Nations, by academics, and a whole array of, of different stakeholders. It's an incredible project of multilateralism, seeing how broad the stakeholders and the contributors to it the really agenda is. are. In terms of the scope, we have 17 goals. That means, I guess, it's quite intricate. But are they connected, and how are they connected? And for those who are kind of on the ground listening to this podcast, how can we all be involved in the SDGs without feeling the overwhelm of 17 goals? Francesco. To answer your two questions, I think it's pretty evident that they are connected. Now, if that is not evident to everyone, just because they look at the 17 goals as a sequence of true statements and desired outcomes at the end of the road in 2030. So if that is not clear immediately, one could look at the targets. Because the targets, every goal is like a molecule and is surrounded by targets. And those targets actually connect, like, mostly like neurons, the goals to one another. And so what happens if you look at that fabric, it's like turning a carpet over, you would see the targets connecting the goals with one another. So that if you move and you progress on public health, you are progressing on gender issues, you're also progressing on decent work, and you're progressing finally on poverty eradication, and so on and so forth. And they're really all connected with high current or low intensity current. And so... The answer there, I think it's very clear to those who want to take a look, not only at the dashboard, which is the 17 goals, but at the declaration of principles, because this is the first time 
that all the countries in the world say, yes, we envision together a world that has no poverty, a world in which men and women are treated equally, etc., and a number of other things. And that is very, very powerful. It never happened before. So the second question that you're putting, how can we part, I think, can be part, I think I want to echo what Nadia was saying. This is not a lofty thing. This is not the UN summit report kind of thing. This is really an immediate agenda for action. And everyone has to at least be aware of it, but to preferably be part of it. So when you look at how the SDGs encompass all aspects of the global challenges that we're facing as a civilization now, and we are all facing, it's not governments facing something, this is for everyone to, to take action. This is the answer. So now when we look at what happened during the pandemic, this has been a magnifying glass in this regard. So you look at healthcare, job loss, economic downturn, and the failing of environmental, entire environmental ecosystems. This has always been part of our reality. Now, the obvious correlation of this sector is finally perceived not as an abstract concept. It's a vivid reality. So the vehicle, I see the COVID crisis as a vehicle to make certain things from hypothetical to real in the life of people. But I don't see that that is different from what is happening much slower in terms of climate crisis. And the agenda is there and encompasses all of that. So I hope this answers your question. And thanks, Francesco, for setting up the next question, because it's also bringing us then to kind of why we wanted to have this episode and looking at the, the pandemic. And I guess it really depends on, on where our listeners are in the world. But the pandemic has been going on for almost two years now. If we think about uh, East Asia, or well over a year and a half uh, here in Europe, where we're recording this podcast today. So, Nadia, this question is to you then. So, you know, while there are plenty of anecdotes of, of how the world has changed or is changing because of COVID-19, it really begs the question that we ask, did we need a global crisis at the magnitude of COVID-19 to make us realize the importance of the SDGs and to see how they're deeply interconnected? You know, Edward, I think we can't even ethically say that we needed a pandemic, right? I think we all agree that this was a catastrophe and continues to be a huge catastrophe for, for the whole world, and, and many countries have suffered even more than, than others. So I'm always uncomfortable using those words. I'm even uncomfortable using the words of the silver lining of COVID. I find that almost in, insulting to many people. However, where I, I would agree, or I would underline the fact that the global pandemic that we've all been through and continue to battle today has, as Francesco said uh, earlier, has really underlined, underscored the extent to which the SDGs are more relevant than ever. And in that sense, for any citizens, any political leader that had any doubts about the relevance of these goals, indeed, uh, the pandemic certainly took a big marker and underscored every single SDG of the agenda. The first one being the one that encompasses the whole agenda 2030 is inequalities. We all know today, and I think we increasingly became aware throughout the pandemic about the extent to which the pandemic was hitting us as citizens in a very unequal way. Just the mere vulnerability to the virus was unequal. 
And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, certain people saying, oh, well, this is a great way of bringing us all to the same common denominator of being humans vulnerable to a virus. We were not all vulnerable in the same way to the virus. We, uh, my team certainly, and myself had the huge privilege of being able to work from home, right? So we had access to connectivity, to the internet, to computers, to electricity. Our children also were able to, to stay home um, the opportunity to continue to, to invest in their education from home. But there are millions of people who didn't have that privilege and thus had to be exposed every single day. They had to take public transport, uh, cramped public transport to go to work, to actually be able to get an income and feed their families and pay for their houses. And this is not just in certain parts of the world. There were millions of people in this case. And so I think we need to be very cautious, especially when we're thinking from a podcast series in Geneva, that what we experienced as professionals and citizens is under COVID, although a lot of us went through very painful times too, is certainly not the same as what another person went through in other parts of, of the world. So I think just making this very clear that it kind of emphasize, first of all, one of the key drivers of the agenda, which is inequalities in the world. And then, of course, it emphasized the extent to which access or not to connectivity, access or not to a big house, to a proper housing, had a direct link to how vulnerable you were or not to the virus. Just imagine you know, living in a, in a small apartment with 15 people compared to living in a big house with just two people, right? I think you don't need much explanation to understand to understand my, my point there and but also in terms of uh, job loss right uh, vulnerability in terms of losing one's job losing one's uh, first source of income so I think in that regard we can really see the extent to which COVID-19 was and is not only a health crisis but it is an economic crisis an environmental crisis and an SDG crisis. Well, Nadia, you do bring up the point about the inequalities in the face of a crisis like a pandemic. We were not standing on, on equal ground. Francesco, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of how you think we experience a crisis and the inequalities that kind of perhaps are highlighted through that? But I think to the point of does it take a global crisis to stop and reflect on the importance of the sustainable development goals? I can see that for some, yes, for some, this COVID experience was a, a point in time where we literally stopped, everything stopped, and we realized how many things that Nadia mentioned become evident and important, albeit in different degrees to different people. So there is that. There is the fact that uh, a crisis like this acts as a booster for the will of the international community and I think of the people as well. Now, in most organized societies, and, and, and the international community is an organized society, the will is powerful, but the budget is weak. And so and that is to my second point, that there is of this distraction factor, especially as things are vehicled by very fast by social media and media in general. So here we are with the crisis and we stop doing, we rush to the crisis and we stop doing the rest. We have seen that not very strongly in the case of Agenda 2030 because of the many tracks of evaluation. It's something that we haven't mentioned, but Agenda 2030 is the first agenda that has a serious framework for evaluation and financing through partnerships. And so those things have inertially continued. But I just wanted to highlight the distracting factor because we're easily distracted. As humans, 
but also as international community. A conflict after an hour, what is the latest emergency we have to take care of? And that is, and that is one aspect. The, the other aspect that is always there, I said the, the, the will is strong, but the, the, the budget is weak, um, is the budget of international organizations. The way we give out funds for the common good around organizations that are regional and international, per geography and per mandate and, and specialization. And there is acute competition over resources. So I think as we say it takes a crisis to focus, we should also say and do not lose sight of what we really want through this agenda because we want it, because we said in 2015 this is the world we want. And when you want something, you have to keep focus. So I think that those things play in a way that almost cancel one another. What is left is concentration on the goal and never let go of this vision that we have. We have one big vision and I think it deserves being there. It deserves the money. It deserves the the follow-up actions. Nadia, the SDG Lab acts as a relay between governments uh, represented by their, their offices here in Geneva, what we call permanent missions, also the United Nations family that's uh, present here in Geneva, and also the, the broader community of SDG actors, uh, not only here, but also in other parts of the planet. And just before Francesco's point, you talked about the, the important nuance of the pandemic that not everyone has experienced or is experiencing the pandemic at the same level. Looking at countries specifically and knowing that the SDG Lab works directly with member states, with governments, what have you been hearing? What has the lab been hearing in terms of how COVID has brought, I guess, the SDGs back at the center or brought them forward or not? What are you hearing? You know, I think we're hearing so many different things from different member states, and it's difficult to to make sort of a blanket statement on, on the main messages. But some things that we are definitely seeing is that in certain countries, the urgency, the emergency of the situation allowed certain policies to be accelerated in a great way. Social protection mechanisms and models and whatnot that could have been discussed over and over throughout a whole decade were suddenly put into place to react to the urgency and the emergency of the situation. The irony of of this crisis, in a way, is to some extent it has allowed acceleration of certain modus operandi and policies that would have taken ages had we not had that crisis. And at the same time, it's, it's unfortunate to think that that's what we need for things to move forward. But that may just be the reality of, of the world we're in when there's pressure and just people in the streets, people dying, people asking for help. That's when maybe everything kind of comes together. And, and so this notion of urgency is, I think, what we all need to keep going. And, and I think that's what many people try to do also in, in the latest uh, climate summit of COP26 is to really reiterate the urgency in which we're all uh, that we're all facing to try and really mobilize not only all the financial resources but the political resources the pressure to move forward and find solutions and a pressure that is not a pressure that is kind of inhibiting because i think some pressures just freeze people and you lack then ideas and solutions of how to move forward what we do at the lab is try to get out of that straitjacket and to say, okay, can we together, instead of finger pointing and, and passing the hot potato onto someone else, onto the bankers so that they finance the gaps, or onto the government so that they find policies, or onto the academics to come with the data, or on the citizens to speak louder, to say, okay, you all have a piece of the solution here. 
And instead of doing it in isolation from one another, why can't we bring you together and nudge you to actually collaborate to find those very precise solutions? Nadia, you kind of draw us straight to our next question perfectly. We're talking about different actors like citizens, bankers, governments, other parties in the world that contribute to this wider cause, multilateralism. The question to you, Francesco, is what do you think is the role of multilateralism in the transition through a crisis like the one we're facing? What can we do from our different vantage points to be able to make sure we forge forward, that we don't kind of fade off, as you say, lose the distraction that we see now as, as part of this urgent crisis? First of all, I think that Nadia said it really, really well. It's all about working together, right? So multilateralism, what is multilateralism? It's a modus operandi, it's a philosophy, it's a way of cooperating among governments, countries, nations, what have you, that rests on a number of principles and shared values. So you cannot separate the multilateralism thought from the values that informed it. Now, one thing that is interesting to note is that multilateralism manifests itself differently depending on who's playing with which multilateral dimension. For example, for governments, it manifests itself as meetings and coordination in the UN system. Now, what you ask is very interesting. How can we live through multilateralism? Well, multilateralism, I think it's also something that more and more affects, reflects, and involves human beings as individuals. Because we have the underpinning technology to talk to one another in real time that we didn't have before. And so that is really a game changer. And I think that the multilateralism of the future will be a connected one in which people actually, there, is, there will be a screen, a giant screen, there will be an algorithm running during official meetings in the UN where people can see real time what really the people of the world opinion is on a given agenda item. Because that counts. We've been saying that that counts. And technology can provide the evidence of that. So I think that at a more immediate level here and today, with the technology we have, multilateralism has a role of catalyzing the good, not only in people, but also in organizations, in institutions, and in governments. And that good is the part of all these actors that wants to collaborate, to face the problems that we all are facing but do things together. So there are two instincts. People going, rushing, as we see with COVID, you know, accumulating and stocking toilet paper. And the opposite instinct, to go to your neighbors, to get together, to face the common challenge. And those two coexist. Now, the role of multilateralism is to distill and promote the good part of the instinct that we all have. Maybe if I can just add to that, Francesco, because I think your example was, was very good, that you know, there is a risk also in a way that many governments look now inward, right? Because of the crisis, because people are in the street asking for, for jobs, asking for stability, asking for access to health, access to vaccines, etc. There is a huge risk because of the economic consequences too that politicians, leaders actually look inwards. And, and I think that the role we at the United Nations have, but also that citizens have, is to remind everyone what the heart and DNA of the SDGs was and why it was so historical. It was historical because we recognize once and for all that all the SDGs, all the global challenges are interconnected, but also that all countries are interconnected. As a very simple example, if every citizen who wants to doesn't have access to a vaccination, we will never end this pandemic, right? And so I think there's not a better example to show the extent to which it is important to take a global perspective on these global challenges and you can't find solutions by looking inward. 
We are all connected. This is the road of exploration we're going to take as we speak with a range of experts and practitioners in this four-part series. Edward is our host for these four conversations. So, Edward, what are the four areas we're covering? So, yes, I'm the host and I'm excited about the four episodes coming up. But it was a tough decision, we must admit, in coming up with the episodes and trying to keep them really focused and concise. So, episode one, we're going to take a deep dive on how COVID has advanced digitalization and connectivity. I think that that's something that we've all experienced, I would think, globally as well in most regions. Episode two, it's going to be a big focus on people, on nature and the planet and how the environment is a really vital key to to resilience. And we saw that come really to the forefront in, in this current global crisis. For episode three, we're going to look at the role of cities in building a more resilient, sustainable future. And cities have been very much in the focus during COVID-19. And our last episode, we're going to examine, you know, why is it important to invest in social protection? And this is a very broad issue, uh, but we thought it's crucial to look at how, you know, advancing a people-centered approach, a resilient approach can take us way beyond COVID and really also deliver on the SDGs by 2030. And I guess I want to bring Nadia, bring you back into this conversation. Why have we chosen, from your perspective, these themes for the series? Why have we, we zeroed, on, zeroed in on, on these four? Well, you know, I think we could have probably selected an even broader range of, of themes, no, no doubt, and especially as uh, we don't have access to all the experiences of every single country in the world too, and I'm sure we're missing certain uh, policies and, uh, and modalities that were developed under the emergency and emergency of the pandemic. So these were just some of the examples where we felt that in these themes we could come up with some very concrete examples for our listeners instead of speaking in a sort of very overarching way that we would come with some very concrete examples of policies, modalities, tools, instrument that were developed at policy level, at innovation level, at technological level to try and deal with this pandemic and maybe also see the pandemic through this lens. Again, I'm not saying it's a silver lining because I struggle with that, but to say there are certainly some very innovative, unexpected accelerators of the SDGs that were developed within the context of, of the pandemic that we would like to highlight and that we would like to make better known to our listeners. We hope also that this series will be able to galvanize uh, some energy for, for, for governments and other stakeholders to come back to us in terms of other tools, modalities and policies that were developed across the world that we haven't heard about yet and to create really a critical mass that we can, be, that we can share as a, as a global good. Fantastic. Francesco, any final words as we end episode zero? Well, I like the concept of acceleration. I think that uh, it is true. In some areas, we are accelerating. I go back to the point I made before, and I want to underline it again. What happens, what do you do to keep on track when you accelerate? You focus more. It's very important. You accelerate, you decrease the opportunity to be distracted. Yeah. And that is very important. That's my final thought. Great. Thanks, Francesco. Thank you, Nadia. We hope you enjoy these critical reflections we'll have in these four episodes hosted by Edward. Thank you both so much for joining us today on the podcast. It Takes a Global Crisis is produced by the UN Library and Archives Geneva and the SDG Lab. The production team is Edward Michaud, Marlene Borlon, Yevgenia Otuchova, Tiffany Verga, and Natalie Alexander. 
If you'd like to give us feedback or share your comments, you can email us at sdg-lab at un.org. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave us a review, or find us at UNOG Library on Twitter and UN Library and Archives Geneva on Facebook. Or find us at SDGLab on Twitter or SDGLab at UN Geneva on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.